Let's turn together to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're concentrating on verses 1 through 4 this morning, but I want to read verses 1 through 13 of 1 Samuel 16. Listen as I read God's word. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse called Shammah, or, and then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, but we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. God had rejected Saul. He rejected him as king over Israel because Saul had rejected God and his word. It's a very sad and tragic moment in the history of Israel. It's certainly tragic for, for Saul, but it's tragic for Samuel and for the rest of the, of the nation as well. It signals something of the of the spiritual atmosphere in which the nation was dwelling. It's tempting to look at this moment in history and to become terribly discouraged by it. In fact, you might read it in its 
flow of the covenant of history and just kind of attach it to the book of Judges. And you might remember that a common interpretation of the book of Judges is that it is just the record of a hard-hearted people. The phrase that that characterizes Judges is well known. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Over and over again, it's, you can see that being acted out. They did what was right in their own eyes. And Saul just seems to be the next chapter in that story. He did what was right in his own eyes. We've seen how Saul was, was surrounded by the means of grace all around him. He repeatedly, though, demonstrated that while he was near to those means of grace, that his heart was far from God. He eventually openly rejected God's word and by uh, by implication rejected God as well. And so God rejected him. And it could be quite easy to fall into grief and despair as, as Samuel did. It would be easy to lump this into the book of Judges as just another account of the hard hearted nature of the children of Israel and to think despairingly of what is happening in our history as well. But if you stop with the book of Judges just that the people are hard-hearted, you've missed the, the real reason for the book of Judges. Several years ago, Dave Carroll taught through the book of Judges, and it still stands out in my mind how he underlined the purpose of Judges. is not to show just the hard-hearted nature of man, but the faithfulness of God in history, even in light of the hard-hearted nature of his people. And if you miss that point, you miss a vitally important truth about God himself. The truth is that God did not uh, did not forsake the children of Israel, even though they forsook him. The truth is that he had not rejected Israel, even though the king of Israel had rejected him. God remained faithful to his purpose, a purpose that revolves around that 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 great story of redemption that he had promised. He had said, I will send a redeemer through the children of Israel. I will send my Christ, my Messiah, to bring salvation. And that truth is going to, is going to shape our understanding of history. It shapes our understanding of the book of Judges. It shapes our understanding of this passage and what God is doing in the midst of in the midst of the history of mankind. God is providentially ruling. And that word providence is one that is is what I want to focus on today. Providence provides us an opportunity to consider how God is acting in history and how God is acting in our lives. History then comes to tell the story of how God Almighty is working his purposes in our lives. As I said, it aims 
most importantly, at the coming of Jesus Christ to save sinners, but it also shows us how we can understand our daily lives and how the trials, the difficulties, the sickness, the death, as something that God is providentially ruling in and through. So today, I want you to understand that that God is at work in history, and he is at work in your life. And I'll press you to three applications, that by faith that you ask him to discipline, disciple, and develop you. I want to begin by just defining providence. And maybe the children can answer this question. What are God's works of providence? That's a catechism question. You may recognize it. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So with that definition, let's look at God's providence as it is revealed in this passage. We'll begin with this, with this, uh, with this statement that God is at work in history and in your life. God is at work in history. It's a simple statement, isn't it? And, and hopefully as I make it, you might say, well, yeah, does that, does that need to be said? Well, unfortunately, yes, it does need to be said. Perhaps you've heard of the philosophy that holds that God created the world but does not intervene in the world. It's been famously described as as God being like the maker of a clock. This would be an old-fashioned clock that's wound up. Uh, We might describe it as putting a battery in the clock today, right? So... Uh, the clockmaker God is, the, is what this philosophy presents. That God created the world, he wound it up like a clock, he set it on the mantle, and then steps back never to touch it again. And it's used to say that that's how God is like. Sure, he made the world, but he doesn't intervene in the world. But all throughout the book of 1 Samuel, and earlier in the book of Judges, we see God's hands all over history. Just the very fact of there being a prophet is God intervening in history. God sent Samuel to speak his word to his people. You can see it as as God gave judges to rule, to deliver, to, to fight on his behalf. Or uh, to bring deliverance to, to God's people. God's communicating grace and forgiveness through the priests and through worship. So, so, so God is by no means separate from the created world. He is intimately involved in it. And in this passage, you can see God coming to address Samuel directly. And then he sends him out to do his will. But it wasn't easy, was it, for Samuel? When Samuel returned to his home, it says uh, that he he mourned for Saul. And it's 
right for him to be grieved. Saul is a tragic story. Saul grieved this downfall of the king of Israel. He grieved the the lack of faith in the Lord's anointed. He, he, He grieved the rejection of God's word. There's a certain amount of grief that can be uh, can be seen in the, uh, in Samuel for the state of the nation. He has warned them about this path. They they took a path that Samuel had warned against, and now they're suffering the consequences. It was bad, and it was right for Samuel to mourn. But Samuel grieved as one who had no hope, and he grieved as as if he knew better than God. And that comes out in the words that God speaks to Samuel. Listen to that text again today. This is what the Lord said to Samuel. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him? It's God's revelation, his his declaration of his judgment of Saul, and Samuel seems to uh, seems to grieve over that as if he knew better than God, and that he would counteract what God was doing. The Lord goes on and says, "Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king." From among his sons. And there, God lifts Samuel's eyes to see that that he was still ruling on high. That this was not the end of the story, that God had set his king to reign. And he was providing that king through the house of Jesse. Let's go back to to Samuel's mourning over that and how he seemed to get stuck there. As I've said, I think that he he fails to see God at work in history. And there is good reason for that. It's, It's a tough place for Israel to be in, but he seems to be stuck there. Where he needed to accept God's word and God's providence, Samuel's warning suggests that he thinks that he knows better than God. And in saying that, I'm struck with how easy it is for us to get stuck too. To get stuck in the midst of difficulty and fail to see God's providence at work in our lives. We all go through times when the Lord leads us through difficulties. There are times when there is is sickness or loss that we go through. We've, uh, We've prayed for Karen these last several weeks. We're praying for the grays even today. There we go through these difficult times. Or you may face disappointment. Maybe that you don't get the promotion that you anticipated. Or maybe that the direction of your life has turned out to be different than you imagined it to be. God may also humble you or discipline us. Like Samuel, 
you may fail to see that that God is in this story. God is in this difficult time that he has promised to be there and that by his very nature, by his very essential being, he is providentially ruling over all things. It is a vital, fundamental truth that we can lose sight of or become so distracted by that difficulty that our eyes fall down and become consumed by that difficulty. It is right to mourn, and it, and it is a truth that we go through difficult times, and believe me, those times can be agonizing to go through. There is trouble, and sometimes we wonder where God is. And even the psalms that we sing often express that same question. But I want to use Paul's language in the New Testament to, uh, to help you understand this aspect of God's providence. In the New Testament, Paul, speaking about the grief of death itself, says that, is that we grieve, but not like those who grieve without any hope. I want you to, to meditate on that this week. That yes, we do grieve. We go through very difficult times. But we don't grieve like those who have no hope. Because God is at work in history. Because God is at work in your life. If you lose sight of that, then when trouble comes, then like Samuel, you may descend into to grief and to mourning that consumes you. Now, God is merciful and comes to Samuel and says, why are you still mourning? And he's prompting him to, to get up and to see the providence of God at work. And again, believe me, I understand that you go through great troubles. But if you lose sight of the providence of God, it is possible that you do as some have done. To ask a question like this, if God existed, then he wouldn't let this happen. And people have looked at those genuine tragedies, things that they have gone through, and said, there is no God. If God existed, he would not allow this to happen. But let me gently and firmly tell you that if you adopt that position, you won't find any comfort. You really won't. Because in the midst of your trouble, if there is no God, then there really is no meaning what you're going through whatsoever. If there is no God, then you live, you die, and that's it. You have no reason to question or wonder or cry or rail at God. If he does not exist, there is no meaning. 
Now, it is hard sometimes to see God's meaning and his purpose in history. And many times we are brought to our knees by what happens. And all we can say is, I know that God is in this. I don't know why, but I know that God is in this. And by faith, I will rest in him. By faith, I will rest in him. It's much like Job as he responded to his own sufferings. As he went through the horrendous trials, one of the phrases that stands out in Job's testimony is, I know, I know that my Redeemer lives. I pray that that would be your confession as well. God is at work in this. And furthermore, he is at work doing good. God is at work, secondly, then accomplishing all of his good purposes. And the scripture is helpful here. There there are many different good purposes that come to light. But this passage highlights a couple that I want to set before you. Gordon Ketty has phrased them in in a way that uh, I think is very memorable. There are two good purposes that are coming out in this passage. The first one, in the words of Gordon Ketty, are that in the darkest moments of his people's experience, the Lord is preparing the brightest outpourings of his power and glory. Isn't that a wonderful way to think of your experience in the darkest moments? That the Lord is preparing the greatest demonstrations of his power and glory. As the proverb goes, it's said that the darkest hour of night comes just before the dawn. It's that darkness before the dawn that can seem so bleak and so discouraging. But if you remember that there is a brightness that the Lord has on the other side of that darkness, that the dawn will break. Oftentimes in this life, sometimes not in this life, but there is a breaking of the dawn that will surely happen. And that you can trust God to bring that about. In this passage... Samuel was weighed down by the darkness of the situation. Saul had failed. The anointed king of Israel had failed and had rejected God, and God had rejected him. And the nation is suffering. But the Lord was still at work. And just think of the glory that the Lord is ushering in in the raising up of David to serve as king. Think of of the victories of David over his enemies. Think of his establishment of the office of king in a way that that honors the Lord as it ought to. Think of the way in which there is an extent and success of God's kingdom that the Lord brings through King David. There's a brightness that was waiting just on the other side of the darkness of King Saul. Then think of the greater glory of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ that eclipses the glory of David. The people who are living in darkness have seen a great light. 
the coming of Jesus Christ. Think of his victory over sin and death, his redemption that he has brought to you. And think of your own personal story there. Think of the darkness in which you lived. And the Lord has intervened, bringing the light of the gospel to you. And rejoice that out of darkness he brings light, the light of Christ and life to you. From this passage, you can see that brightness that comes because God is providentially directing all of history to his good purposes. The second accomplishment of a good purpose that, uh, that I'll point out, again using Caddy's word, is that, is that God is slow to anger in the face of human sin and provocation. Saul is a tragic figure, but he, he wasn't alone. The people, too, did what was right in their own eyes. And so have we. We, too, have sinned even after our repentance and faith in Christ. Our hearts are prone to wander and in the mystery of God's providence, we are not immediately freed from that. But God is slow to anger. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. In his wisdom and in his providence, God doesn't act immediately but patiently disciplines and disciples you. By faith you are a child of God, and as such, God is at work to develop in you by his patience and providence, to develop faith and hope and Christian character. With that in mind, I want to to go to these three applications of this teaching of God's providence. To, To know them I've given them three D's, discipline, discipleship, and development. I'd like to lead them out from this passage. Discipline. Saul wandered from God, and the people did too. The people asked for a king like the nations around them. And so God's response has an element of discipline for his children. We saw this when God said to Samuel, go and and anoint Saul as king. The Lord gave them over to their desires. And the phrase that I've used there, they made their bed and they lie in it. God was teaching them by the suffering of the consequences of their sins, that they were wrong in their desires, that they were wrong in their wanting to be like the nations around them. That discipline had a positive side, not just showing them the wrong path, it made them long for the right path, the, the king after God's choosing, the office of a king that's not like the nations around, but what God has ordained and what God has provided. And the Lord says, I have provided a king. And so there is discipline that leads them to understand the consequences of their sin 
and the right path to walk in instead. And that light, it's right for you as you go through the difficulties of this life to recognize that it may be that God is disciplining you. And if God confronts sin in your life, remember that he disciplines the children that he loves. In humility then, accept his correction and thank him that he has not rejected you. Discipleship. Discipleship. Uh, there's a, it's connected a little bit to the positive side of discipline, but it's larger than that. God is at work in, in training you. God was training Israel to look to God for a king. He was training Samuel as well, even in his old age. Here's the prophet of God who has walked with the Lord for many, many years. And yet he was mired in mourning, a mourning that was misdirected, such that the Lord would come and correct him and to train even Samuel, the prophet of God, to want the king that God was raising up. He was training Samuel not to be afraid in the, the path that was set before him. When God told him what he was to do, he, his immediate response is, well, if I do that, Samuel's going to kill me. And again, here is, here's a man who has walked with the Lord so many years, needing God's comfort and correction and discipleship so that he would trust in the Lord. We'll go into this more next week, but uh, Samuel also looked on the outward appearance of Jesse's sons and was not looking for God's qualifications. God was discipling Samuel, and he disciples us as well. Part of the Lord's providence is to lead you through difficulties to train you to train you in faith and hope and love, which leads to that third application, that of development. And here it's something of a synonym of discipleship, but I want to call attention to the fact that, uh, that God's providence helps you to understand the, the sense of the length of time that is happening here in the story of raising up David. It will be years until David begins to serve as king, and all the while, God had not removed Saul from serving. He had rejected him, but he was still serving. And God's answers, uh, I think you know, often involve a process and often involve a length of time and a means of grace that are hard. Because we want our answers immediately. We want the deliverance to happen right now. And I know that in the course of this life that there are times when I when I pray for for healing. I, I, I pray for, uh, 
for direction or for answered prayer. I, I, I pray to be free from sin, and I'm not. And, and I want answers right now. But in God's wisdom and in his providence, there is there's development that happens through a normal means of grace, through God's working through them in a process that, that extends over time. And it may be that, that you are waiting for God's answer today. You may be praying earnestly for direction or deliverance, for provision. You may look back on this last year and say, God, I have behaved badly in the midst of isolation or trial. Can't you just deliver me now? As you wait, I urge you to remember that God is at work and that part of his work is to, to develop you and to shape you through that very trial that you are facing and to shape you through through application of his grace over time and to rest in his hands in that way. God is at work disciplining, discipling, and developing you just as surely as he was doing that for the children of Israel. He is at work in your life. The whole course of your life, in fact, is ordered by God's providence. He is at work in history. He is at work for your good. And there may be times that it is hard to see. There may be times when you are overwhelmed by grief or anxiety or physical sickness. There are times when the affairs of this world will crowd your soul so that you are distracted. There will be times when you face disappointment. And there will be times when you grieve and mourn. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would not grieve as those who are without hope. I pray that you would see that God is in this, this very day, whatever that grief is that you are facing today, that God is in it. He is at work in it, and he is accomplishing his good purposes. And so remind yourself of that. and Pray that he would discipline and disciple and develop you in all of the Christian graces that he has called for you. Let's pray. Lord, our God, we humbly ask for, uh, for such a response of faith in our lives. We are humbled by the way in which you addressed Samuel and confronted and corrected him where he needed correction, how you lifted his eyes to see that you are at work and that your king will reign, Father, in our lives, we can so easily forget that and have. We ask, O oh God, that you would forgive us of these sins. And, O oh Lord, I pray that this vital, important teaching of your providence would provide a bedrock for us to stand, to know that you are at work, that you have saved us through Jesus Christ, that you have given us your spirit to live and to follow after you. And as and God, as you 
work over time, we pray that you would be disciplining us in love, discipling us to follow after you, and developing that Christian character in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing Psalm 145c. It expresses our longing as we look to the Lord for all he does in our lives. It uses the, uh, the goods of our daily food to remind us that God will provide us all his goods. Psalm 145, Selection C, please stand to sing.